G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Well, as we do on a Monday, we like to check in with the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin Isles, Managing Director of the ACL, back with us. Hello, Martin. Welcome back to 2020. Good morning, Neil. It's good to be back after some uh, long break. Yes, well, uh, trusting you're nicely refreshed, and I know you've been at the helm and following all of the events that have been going on, especially over this past week, the Religious Discrimination Bill. Uh, briefly recap for us, Martin, just exactly what happened late last week and where that leaves us now. Well, this was uh, was a big muck-up by the government, is the short version of the story. But uh, the longer version of the story is that after some years of waiting, uh, the Prime Minister decided that he would bring the Religious Discrimination Bill into Parliament. And that was a cause for... Uh, you know, we were, we were pretty pleased about that. Now, we've never thought that the Religious Discrimination Bill was the most amazing piece of legislation out there. It really isn't. It did a little bit, not a lot. Uh, it would have brought us forward just a touch in terms of protections for people of faith in this country. And people often say, well, is that really necessary? And the answer is yes. We are seeing far too many cases coming through our Human Rights Law Alliance needing real legal support. Uh, everything from foster parents who have been booted out of the fostering system because of their Christian beliefs to people who have been suspended from universities, people who have been put under discipline in workplaces. There are real gaps the uh, religious freedom laws in this country. And so we've always thought we'll support it because it just takes us a little bit forward on that issue. It just gives a few more protections. Not amazing, nothing super special, but a little bit. So we've been supportive. Prime Minister finally introduces the bill and unfortunately a lot of monkey business broke out in the parliament. But unfortunately the Prime Minister, it turns out, had actually written to Anthony Albanese, the opposition leader, on the 1st of December last year, and he had said to Anthony Albanese, if you will support this bill through the Parliament, then I will make some changes to the Sex Discrimination Act. I'll delete a section of that Act. And that was a shocker of a deal. Uh, in fact, once we found out that that was the case, and nobody seems to have known until last week, as soon as we found that out, we said, well, the whole thing has to be off because it's not worth getting a tiny little bit of religious freedom uh, and at the same time losing that important section of the Sex Discrimination Act because that section of the Sex Discrimination Act protects Christian schools in this country. It allows Christian schools to operate according to their ethos on issues like gender, sexuality and sex. And so they're able to have a code of conduct, for example, that says, look, boys use the boys' toilets, girls use the girls' toilets. Or they're able to say, look, we believe marriage is between a man and a woman. That's what this school stands for. That's Christian belief. And so if you're going to have a political uh, cause uh, on the school grounds promoted that, that is against that, look, we're going to have to ask you not to. It allows them to have codes of conduct so parents can send their kids to an authentically Christian school where their kids are protected from a lot of that ideological madness that's going on. The Prime Minister offered to trade that away. 
which is a shocking thing, and we're all a bit shocked that it even happened. And as soon as we found that out, we had to kill the whole legislative package. Lots of good people banded together, worked together, and killed the whole thing. And the Prime Minister did come on board in the end when he realised that there was overwhelming uh, opposition to it. And I think we dodged a bullet here. We lost the religious discrimination bill for now, but we saved Christian schools, and I think that's more important. I think if we dwell on that just for a moment, uh, Christian schools were saved last week because we came so very close to losing Christian schools and their ability to protect their own ethos. That was how close we were last week, isn't it? It really is, Neil. I mean, that sounds insane for a country like Australia to have nearly got to a position where the law no longer protected Christian schools' ability to operate according to their ethos on gender, sex and sexuality. Uh, And that would have been the end of a Christian ethos in any educational institution for for school students in this country uh, on those issues. Parents would have had nowhere to go. Uh, Christian schools would have had no laws to rely on. Uh, They would have been changed forever. Um, There are some states where they could have relied on sort of bits and pieces of state laws, but it would have been nonetheless a devastating blow right across the board and set the clock right back on Christian schooling in this country, which is something that, you know, 30% of Australian students attend a faith-based school. So it's a really big deal here. Um, And that that terrible legislative change was stopped last week. And a lot of people don't realise just how big of a bullet was dodged. Um, And also, I think it's important just to point out that uh, the Prime Minister did do a silly thing there. I don't know whether how willful it was, whether he fully understood what he did, uh, but also it just shows that, um, you know, there's a lot of forces at work in the Parliament and uh, we've just got to be very careful. Martin, a couple more days before the election where this could be debated, uh, any thoughts from you about the likelihood of it re-emerging uh, in that short sitting before an election? Uh, could it potentially be brought back in and go through the Parliament, uh, through the Senate, and then back to the lower house. Is that possible? Well, unfortunately, we're in a difficult position. Um, Scott Morrison can't guarantee support even from his own party. There is about five MPs in the lower house who crossed the floor to vote with Anthony Albanese uh, to to end Christian schooling effectively and, and muck the bill up. Um, so he's got rebels in his own party. These are people like Trent Zimmerman of, of North, North Sydney, people like Dave Sharma, Danny Wentworth, there's a, the member for Bass in northern Tasmania, the member for Higgins down in uh, Victoria. You know, they cross the floor, and so he can't trust the support of his own party. So it's very unlikely that this is going to be reintroduced because we'll see the same thing happen again. Um, in the Senate, the situation is much harder. Um, In fact, we suspect that the bill could be further watered down in the Senate or that the attack on Christian schools could get worse in the Senate. There's more sections of the Sex Discrimination Act that could be deleted to make it even worse. So that's the big concern here. And so, uh, you know, we're very much of the view at the moment that this really needs to stay off the agenda for a while because uh, it could cause far too much damage to bring it back. And that, of course, puts us in a difficult position. It means that we have to talk to the major parties Uh, about whether or not they're going to make any promises on this uh, if they win the next federal election, which is coming in May. And that's sort of the next uh, order of business for us, is to meet with them and say, well, you know, is this something you're going to bring on post-election? Is this something we can tell the Australian public you're going to support post-election or not? See if we can do some deals. 
Well, it automatically becomes an election issue now because if it goes beyond the election, of course, as you say, you'll be looking to see whether uh, either side of politics will give any sort of assurances about that. And so if you're seeking assurances, my suspicion is that both sides will want to be saying they support religious freedom, but there's a track record on both sides too, which needs to be taken into account. Uh, So any thoughts here? Because it definitely will be, and no doubt... uh, specifically on this program. It'll be an election issue right up to uh, voters go to the polls. Yeah, that's right. And I suspect both sides, as you say, Neil, will say, oh, yes, we support religious freedom. But, of course, what we're going to have to do is get some particulars because clearly Labor would say they support religious freedom. They also supported the ending of Christian schools. Uh, Scott Morrison, I think, won't support that. I think he made uh, a, a gross error of judgment, which he won't repeat. But I'd like to know from him, you know, if he wins the election with a significant majority... Uh, well, what's he going to do about religious freedom specifically? Not just say, oh, yes, I support it, but to tell us, you know, will you have a fallout clause to protect people in the workplace? Will you uh, protect Christian schools long term to make sure that they're not undermined? Will you, you know, plug the gaps in the New South Wales laws that don't even have any protection for religious discrimination at all? You know, you can even tell someone they can't go to a ho- enter a hotel because they're Christian and it would be lawful, you know. So uh, it's those sorts of things that we want to talk to the parties about, specifics so that we can find out specifically what they stand for and we can report specifically what will happen. I suspect the coalition will say, yes, we will fix this up. We just need a better parliament. That's all we need. The parliament at the moment is in a bad way and we couldn't do it. We tried. I suspect that's what they'll say. But if we get back in and the parliament is better, then we'll try again. I think that's where it'll go with them. Labor will be much more tricky. Of course, a lot of people have faith in the fact that the Prime Minister is a Christian. But what we have seen, of course, five rebel MPs, the tail wags the dog. People have been concerned about the leadership of the Prime Minister. So uh, it might make you feel good that the Prime Minister is a Christian. But uh, just of this past week or two, the Prime Minister's leadership credentials have come into uh, focus. And uh, there are often uh, there's conversations about uh, you know who might replace the Prime Minister. Any thoughts here? Because uh, there is a certain sense of uh, security you might feel as a Christian that the Prime Minister is a person of faith, but uh, they won't always be in that role and others will potentially uh, displace him. Any thoughts here around uh, the way you might feel about uh, Christianity and the Liberal Party and religious freedom long term? Yeah, I mean, it is true that the Prime Minister is a professing Christian and a practicing Christian, and that's good, and it's better than many of the alternatives that we could have. But I would just say to people, don't, don't let that be, uh, make you naive. Um, there are enormous political forces at work on the Prime Minister and in the Parliament. Uh, there is the Liberal Party itself is in the grip of an ideological war with itself. Uh, there are factions which are really fighting for supremacy and may in fact fight each other to the death. Uh, It's very, very ugly, uh, and it's a very, very difficult world to navigate at the moment. And so the Prime Minister may be a Christian, but he does not have ultimate authority. And also, he's not beyond falling into the, you know, you can get very, you can get a bit blinkered sometimes when your whole world is politics and power broking and trading deals, and, and you can make mistakes or you can become too political and not Christian enough and You know, you can compromise on your principles, whether deliberately or by accident. The Prime Minister's not beyond any of that. So, you know, let's not be naive about those things. uh, But 
I do say to people, look, if you're really concerned about what, what's happened here and you're concerned about the Prime Minister, never forget to pray for him because that's what we're told to do as Christians. That's what the Bible says we should do. So I think we should continue to pray for Scott Morrison uh, that these forces don't overwhelm him, but also be aware there's an ideological war in the Liberal Party. Well, lots of controversy in the lead-up to the next federal election. We'll be monitoring these sorts of issues along very closely. Hey, there's big issues on the agenda, Martin. A quick comment or two. The Convoy to Canberra event, uh, that's in the hearts and minds of uh, people all around Australia right now. Any thoughts about the weekend demonstrations? Uh, ACT police estimated something like 10,000 demonstrators. Others are saying there were tens of thousands of demonstrators. Uh, Thoughts about the protests in Canberra? Well, it's very hard to trust uh, the numbers that come out through many of the mainstream sources, Neil, because they tend to be underestimated. And I must say, I looked at uh, a lot of drone footage of the day. Um, I wasn't there. I I had to leave Canberra because I had a commitment at a a pro-life event in Adelaide. Uh, But I looked at a lot of the drone footage and I, I, I saw what was going on there. And I think anybody who has any experience with crowd sizes knows that there was far, far far, far more than 10,000 people there. Uh, It was huge, uh, and I was blown away by what I saw. Uh, I couldn't believe that all those people travelled to Canberra from all over the country. Canberra's a long drive, and there weren't many locals in that crowd. I can guarantee that as a Canberra local myself. I know that that's not the sort of cause that they would support. So it was completely enormous. And I'll tell you this, it is an eclectic movement Uh, And there are lots of people sort of piggybacking off it with different agendas. However, the common theme is this. The common theme is that when it comes to the issue of vaccine mandates and vaccine passports, that is locking people out of venues because they're not vaccinated, things like that. You know, it's time that that really ended because the threat we face with Omicron is very mild. uh, And the affront to freedom of conscience the affront to freedom of movement, the undermining of basic human rights to free informed medical consent that those rules impose on the nation, uh, really they're an offence to liberal democracy. And uh, that is because the threat just isn't that great. It's not great enough to justify such things. So I, I agree with the convoy to Canberra on that basic shared principle. And I think what we saw in Canberra over the weekend was just the tens and tens and tens of thousands, which is what it was at least, uh, of people who have faced the loss of jobs, uh, who have, you know, had to take a medical procedure that they didn't really want to. They just had to do it to survive. People who have, you know, had their lives turned upside down by these rules. And they're now looking at the world and they're saying, well, we're living with the virus. The world's moving on. We're coming out the other side. It's time this stuff ended and I fully agree with that so uh, I, I, I support that part of the movement and um, who knows we might see more Neil and there might be a change in the air and perhaps we'll see the ending of the pandemic over the next few months and I think that that would be a really good outcome for people to get back to normal life. We're familiar with the fact that political leaders don't give up their power and their restrictions and regulations easily. So, uh, And this group in Canberra, and perhaps as you say, Martin, much further beyond the thought of there being a whole lot of fringe people there, these are ordinary mainstream Australians turning out to protest these mandates uh, that are so severe uh, right around Australia. Hey, you mentioned you were in South Australia. That was for the Walk of Life. 
over the weekend. You were one of the speakers there. Something like 3,000 turned out for a march there in, in Adelaide. Yeah, so it was a much less famous march compared to the convoy to Canberra, but it was certainly no less important. So here in South Australia, they had their annual Walk for Life, and uh, it's the hardest year for people to protest because the abortion-to-birth laws passed in South Australia last year. And so here we have the true believers who are still committed to the cause, who are going to start the long road towards rebuilding the pro-life credentials of South Australia and overturning the abortion-to-birth laws passed by the Marshall government. And I was thinking, well, I wonder if anyone will come, you know. <laughs> I was wondering, uh, you know, how, how strong this movement would be this year. And 3,000 people came. Uh, and that is despite uh, some people having lingering concerns about COVID. And it is despite the very real um, uh, disappointment from last year with that legal change. So it was a wonderful time. And I'm very grateful to every person who came, everyone who marched. Uh, it was a wonderful family event. Uh, and I was privileged to be able to address the crowd. And I spoke on Galatians 6.9, which says, uh, let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due time, we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. And I was just pointing out that that birth is a promise. You know, there is a harvest to be reaped. Good sowing reaps good. Uh, and that should put a spring in our step. That should give us great optimism as we put our shoulder to the wheel in so many of these causes, which clearly matter to the heart of God. So it was a great event and it'll be on again next year. And I look forward to its growth over the coming years. Martin, just quickly, you mentioned there were a lot of families on the streets in Adelaide. In fact, a lot of those families were young families, young people coming out in their thousands. How significant is that, that those are young people who are out on the streets for a pro-life march? Oh, absolutely significant. I mean, no doubt whatsoever that the uh, demographics were um, very evenly spread from young to old, which is always a very healthy sign, I in fact, I really enjoyed that, Neil, about last year when we did the Truth of It Live tour to see the same thing. Really evenly spread demographics, lots and lots of young people. And we see young people showing up at these events a lot these days. We see young people, I'm talking 18-year-olds and below, you know, even children, but 18 to 25 being a very strong age bracket. They come along to our programs, they come along to our events, they come along to these sorts of uh, demonstrations. And one of the things I say to people very often, you know, God is at work in Gen Z. Uh, and there are a lot of people in Gen Z who know that their faith and the things they believe in are going to cost them. And they've accepted that. And they're getting on with being a faithful Christian anyway. And I'm always so encouraged to meet them. I've actually developed a very strong network of these young people that I know around the country. Um, and uh, and it's, it's very exciting. And uh, we even run our program called The Download, which is for 18 to 25-year-olds, and we've got hundreds on the wait list to come along to that, and that really plugs them in to doing good uh, for the cause of their faith and showing up at events like this Walk for Life and even helping out. Many of those who helped were young people yesterday. So it's an exciting time, and I want to encourage people with that, and uh, you're, you're very right to mention it. Uh, there are lots of issues and we won't get to tackle things like the Victorian prostitution uh, decriminalisation that came into effect last week and there of course is an upcoming vote on the New South Wales Voluntary Assisted Dying Bill. We'll be looking closely at some of those sorts of issues and encouraging listeners to check out the acl.org.au website to find out how you can be involved in some of the initiatives around those issues as well. Hey Martin, one more thing before I let you go. It is Valentine's Day. Did you receive a card from any special admirers today? 
<laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I, well, I said, no, um, Neil, I'm going to have to say to you, uh, I could not possibly deny and I could not possibly confirm. <laughs> That's the best answer I've got. I'm sorry. I probably give too much away, but it, I couldn't confirm or deny. <laughs> no doubt there'll be a whole lot of cards. Everybody out there. There'll be a whole yeah. lot of cards on your desk before the end of the day, no doubt. <laughs> oh, quite possibly. <laughs> Martin Isles, the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, acl.org.au there's a lot of initiatives we've talked about there there's opportunities to participate in some of the campaigns that are running on the biggest issues facing the nation acl.org.au martin isles thanks so much for joining us again today on 2020 thank you neil it's always a pleasure thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from vision christian media To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.